Welcome to Managing Marketing. Today I'm joined by John Bradshaw, Director at Brand Traction, who are helping your people, brands and businesses grow. Welcome, John. Afternoon, Darren. So thanks for coming by and having a chat because uh, I think uh, I posted my what is keeping CMOs awake at night or what's uh, disturbing their sleep and you made uh, a number of comments on LinkedIn and on the post that I thought was quite interesting. Um, one of them being that you found that the list hadn't really changed in the last few years. No, well, the, I think that was the bit that I was, as well as being disparaging about pointless pieces of research, um, I was surprised that what they found wasn't massively different to the thing that would have been on, I guess, what would have been my boss's list in the 1980s. Mm. And yet everything that we're talking about in the press and in the industry and in the business and and the work that I'm doing is about how marketing has changed and been disrupted and mm. has become a completely different discipline. And then somebody goes and actually talks to the people who make the decisions and they're coming up with the same list. Yeah, and it was, things, years ago. it was things like, um, you know, uh, the <coughs> marketing being aligned to business objectives and, uh, and proving the return on investment. And I mean, this is a conversation that we've been having and the industry's been having for years. Oh, um, back to the 1950s, Yeah, sadly. So it's interesting that with all of the disruption that's going on with technology, that it's still those core issues that seem to be the, the ones that are yeah, coming top, top of mind when someone, as you say, goes out and does some pointless research and says, of these, maybe they said of these issues, which ones are keeping you awake at night? <laughs> maybe it was prompted research, not unprompted. Well, maybe, but, but actually, I think those issues are still the issues. I, I think one of the things that's in the way at the moment is we're confusing the what does marketing do hmm. in a business with the how does marketing do it? And the bit that's getting disrupted is the how. How do I find people to talk to and what mechanism shall I use to talk to them in a way that will persuade them to do the thing that I want them to do? But all of the reasons for marketing to exist should be, ought to be, and are, if you want a marketing, a marketing department of any stature, the same stuff, which is... How do I change the shopper, consumer, customer, whatever word we want to put on the person with the money's behavior yeah. to deliver on the outcomes of the business? And I really don't understand why that conversation got complicated and confusing. You know why? I mean, I think you've just absolutely hit the nail on the head. And that is we get so focused on how and implementation that often it gets confused with the why and the purpose. Because, you know, when we look at marketing expenditure, so much, the vast majority of the investment is on implementation. And only a very, very small amount is actually working out things like strategy and doing the research. So much of a marketing person's day-to-day decision-making around money is 
implementation. And maybe that's why it's actually confused people as far as the changes that are occurring in implementation. You know, omni-channel uh, marketing and, and uh, multiple channel uh, integration and things like this. These are just uh, an implementation or a way of reaching an audience, aren't they? They are. And I get that that's got really complicated and is getting more complicated as it goes as it goes on. But it's becoming the god that the market is praying to when actually the 20%, the thinking, the strategy, the deciding what it is that we're going to do that's going to deliver the outcome we want is still the most important bit. 80% mm. of what a business does in general is about production and execution. Yeah. But no one's saying arguing that the business shouldn't have a strategy and we should be focused all on how do we move the thing down the line a little bit faster because it's going a bit too slow today. We still herald strategy, yeah. direction, leadership as the heart of how the business organizes itself and then everything else assembles around that. Marketing is just a microcosm of the same thing if it's done right. Or you become the colors and shapes department and... Which is so many that marketing. Breaks my heart. Yeah, but so many marketing departments are in that position. I mean, you know, we don't do marketing strategy. You know, Trinity P three. We go in and we ask the marketers what the strategy is, and then we work with them to make sure that they have the resources and the structures in place to actually deliver on it, right? And one of the things that really terrifies me is this: the conversation around strategy. There are marketers that aren't clear on what a strategy is. They often confuse objectives with a strategy. You know, we'll say to them, well, what's your strategy? Oh, to be brand leader. No, no, that's an objective. That's not a strategy. Even things as simple as that seem to trip people up. And I think it's because they make a leap from objective straight into implementation and they miss the whole strategy piece. I agree. and It's because implementation's the bright, shiny new ball. Because if we stick the word digital on it, it's definitely exciting and interesting. Yeah. Um, because it is complicated and difficult to work out and like grey hairs like you and me don't have a bag full of simple solutions we can just yeah. deliver to their doorstep and because a lot of the money seems to be over there but it's still us about face yeah. it's still working out what to do when I've no idea why I'm doing it yeah. how am I going to get the there order. Yeah. how am I going to get there when I don't know where I'm going yeah. or how you know, the route I'm going to take yeah, yeah. it's yeah. But what, what, so why are we in this mess? Because, you know, I, I have to tell you, I see a lot of marketing departments that cannot clearly articulate the strategy that they're trying to implement. What they can tell me is what agencies they work with and what their media spend is, and, it, and it's all implementation. It's not, and, and then the strategy doesn't necessarily, the marketing strategy doesn't link back to the business strategy. Yeah, and so there's this total disconnection. And they do become the colouring in department. They do. And there's, there's been some really interesting kind of study work done on this around the world. Um, and we'll provide the right kind of sources for the, for the transcript, right? 70% of the top 100 organisations in the world said they relied on marketing capability in order to deliver on the business aspirations. They saw marketing as a critical engine for the growth of the, of the business. Only half of them said they had the marketing capabilities they needed, 
and 70% of everything people tried to do to change marketing capability had fallen over and hadn't delivered on its, on its promise. So we've got the best companies in the world going, if I don't get better at marketing, I'm not going to deliver my objectives. Half of those going, and I'm nowhere near having the level of capability I want, mm. and actually delivering on real transformation in the capability of the people in their business, incredibly hard to do. Mm. Um, what I see in Australia, rather than that kind of very kind of sobering, but at least kind of staring into the issue, is people not even realizing that we've got a capability crisis. Mm. That we've got marketers who aren't being taught, trained, developed, skilled in strategy and execution in both in both halves of the job. And I mean, it excites me as a business opportunity, but it also worries me in that if we end up with a bunch of marketing departments that are the colors and shapes department, there's nothing you or I will have to offer them anymore because you don't need me to tell you how to buy Facebook ads. No, and, and look, that's the problem is that the value actually gets completely removed from marketing as a profession because it is just about implementing things, placing orders with suppliers and, and making things happen. And that's one of the things that uh, I, I always uh, uh, suspect that I have a marketing department that's not integrated strategically into the business when they do a lot of things but that there's no obvious structure or strategy to all of the things they're doing. And and the conversation with the, the head of marketing, CMO or, or you know, marketing director, will be this sense of, we've got all this to do and we don't have enough money or resources to do it. And then you immediately start thinking, well, why are you substituting activity and volumes of doing for thinking and strategy. I don't know, but here we go back to the, I think the 1960s, like with Michael Porter's quote, strategy is mostly about what you choose not to mm. do. Like um, whilst Professor Porter's kind of may not be the most preeminent strategist anymore, I've still got a lot of time for what he has to say to be quite honest. Yeah. He was the guy learned strategy from when I was at business school. And, um, but it's, it's what happens. It's about choice, right? Yeah. Yeah, There's never enough money to do all of the things we could possibly do and we've got to pick the few biggest, easiest ones that get us where we want to go. But if you've been disconnected from strategy, you do just become a service provider. And so that's why you become incredibly busy because, and I see it especially in banks, financial services companies, telcos, where the business is coming up with the pricing, the product, the offer, uh, even the segmentation, and they're basically turning to what's called the marketing department, which has been reduced to the promotions, the advertising department, to just pump out these mass communications. You know, especially in financial services and especially in telcos, that's this the business is driving it and maybe the market the marketers in quotes are actually sitting up in the business and the people in the marketing department have been turned into just a comms function that is implementation only they're order takers from the business and they're executing it against a budget but no surprise when the chief technology officers using design thinking to really understand what it is that the user wants and building products that are rooted in a strategic understanding of what 
consumers and users and, and shoppers want and your head of customer experience is doing the same strategic high level work on how to manage the end-to-end customer journey and the CMO is making an ad yeah guess who's not the most important person in that conversation the person making the ad correct and yeah so I get uh, I've had a number of marketers this year and, and it's been a change that have phoned up and they said, we've got to become more digital centric. And I go, what do you mean by that? Well, we've got to get technology at the heart of everything we do. And I go, you realise technology is an enabler. It's not actually a solution. Well, unless you make laptops, for example. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, from a, from, as a marketer. As you a know, marketer and yeah. I go, so what's the strategy that's driving this? And it's interesting because in almost every case, It's because there's been a strategic business decision to move the marketing away from promotion and brand to customer experience and customer engagement. And that the enabler to do that is technology. And so suddenly they're thinking that of technology as the solution to do it, when in actual fact it's a major shift in strategy. You know, to go from brand building through traditional, you know, promotional communications and turn it around to brand building through customer experience and customer engagement is a major shift, isn't it, for marketers? And, and, a, and a, a big difference in the way you apply your strategy? It is a big shift. It's slightly sad that it is that service marketers hadn't realised that providing an awesome service was probably step one in the marketing <laughs> job. Um, but, but it does not preclude or exclude the need to dramatise and communicate the awesome service that we've now designed to a bunch of people who I now wish to buy me. Hmm. And the other thing I see going on all the time in this conversation, which frustrates me a little bit, is the generic use of the word marketing to include technology companies, service businesses and product companies. Hmm when by its very nature the marketing department inside an Uber versus a Telstra versus a Coca-Cola are fundamentally different, right? Mm. Because of the mechanism by which we do commerce is fundamentally different. So if the marketing director of Uber isn't thinking that digital and technology are a critical centerpiece to his marketing strategy, then something's very wrong. But similarly, if we're over here at Coca-Cola, and all of a sudden digital is the middle of my marketing strategy rather than the very interesting way of executing my marketing strategy. We've got the car not even connected to the horse anymore, never mind, never mind in front of it. And the commentators who blanket, ah oh yes, improving customer experience is the answer to marketing in 2010. Well, no, not if you make coffee, it isn't. No, yeah. it's a product. Now, well, admittedly, if you make coffee machines, and yeah. some interesting stuff that people like Nestle have done in terms of blurring the lines between products and service business. But that's kind of fringe stuff that a very few, very sophisticated people are doing. The bulk of people are making products, and that isn't really about customer experience journeys. No. At the heart of it. No. Because they can learn from those methodologies about in, into that world, but they are very different. Because there's an intermediary there called the customer. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, the customer is often the retailer in the distribution channel, and that 
you know, changes the whole dynamic. And a level of involvement, engagement in the thing. Yeah. I'm intimately involved in my telco. Yeah. Because when it doesn't work, my <laughs> life collapses. I'm a little bit less involved in my beverage. kind of beverage that we're drinking or, right now. Or your toilet paper. Correct. Yeah. That doesn't mean I don't want it and I don't need to know advice about which one to choose that will be the best one for the things that I want. But you're not up for daily engagement with them on I'm a deep personal level. I'm not going to follow my toilet paper company on Twitter. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you what brand you buy. So um, so, so it's interesting because uh, a few years ago, you, know, you raised this idea, and it's true, every category has its own requirements, right? But... You must remember, what was it, 15, 20 years ago, maybe more, where everyone wanted to be a Nike and then everyone wanted to be Apple. Uh, have you noticed that uh, everyone at the moment seems to say to me, we want to be Tesla? Oh, Tesla, I get Uber. Oh, do I you want to Uber? be the Uber of cold drinks. I'm like, really? Not sure cold drinks needs an Uber, to be honest with you, but no, Uber's the one I get. Okay, you get Uber. I get Tesla because uh, it's this idea that you can become famous without having to do any sort of advertising. And I go, but they actually do, you know, PR. They do a huge amount of social media. You know, they're, they are actually marketing themselves. You realise that. And they go, oh, yeah, but, you know, we rely so heavily on traditional media and digital's not working for us. If we could just be a tester, I go, step one, come up with a revolutionary, groundbreaking product that absolutely disrupts the marketplace or the category. Well, uh, this is the issue, the other issue we see all the time, right? People using outliers as the thing that everybody can copy. Yeah. And it's sadly just not true. And there is now so much evidence about the absence of viral virality in digital marketing mm. and so much evidence that the way you get a big audience through a digital channel is by buying it. And that, by the way, that makes it look a very, very similar price to traditional mediums when we get to a per head basis. And now we're just Cost confronted with a bunch of interesting different ways of spending our money. Mm. That I don't understand why this is still a conversation that's going on. The, the how come I'm not getting all the free marketing conversation when I, I must have been to half a dozen uh, conferences in the last couple of years and I've now got a couple of books on how the science of viral says that there is no, no viral. viral. But uh, look, I Thank you, Karen, by the way. Yeah, but uh, John, I think it's because um, people are dealing with the complexity that they face by trying to find simple solutions. You know, that this whole idea of best practice, you know, I don't know if you get asked, but we get, what's best practice? And I go, well, in what category and what stage of market, you know, is it a mature market? Is it a, a growing market? You know, it, there are so many variables. And what does best practice mean anyway? Because if you then give best practice example, the next question is, well, who else is doing it? So in actual fact, they're not talking about best practice. They're talking about what's the common practice in that particular marketplace. And yet all of the 
science of complexity tells you that there is no best practice. In a complex market that is constantly changing, there is only emerging practice. What are people doing to test the marketplace and learn? And yet marketers often seem to be looking for the simple solution to these complex problems, which is, well, it works for them. Why can't it work for me? Yeah, and you know what's really interesting? That whilst the transmission mechanism has got more complicated, the complexity of the marketing puzzle, and the reason why I've always been attracted to this as a job, mm. has been enormous from when I began. Working out how on earth to construct products and services in such a way that I can then dramatize them in a very short window of time to somebody who doesn't really want to listen to what I'm saying mm. in such a powerful way that I get to change their behavior when they next get to a money-spending moment. Mm. That was complicated enough before we made the channel thing really complicated yeah. by the fact that we didn't have one big super channel that we could end at, at least we knew what the product looked like at the end of the day. So I don't understand when we went from understanding that marketing was one of the most complex combination of science and arts, yeah. like in the business kind of pantheon, to all of a sudden, well, I can't deal with complexity anymore. Because the channel bit got a bit difficult. Yeah. Like, yeah. If you were capable of solving the marketing puzzle in the first place, you'll work out how to deal with the digital thing. If you're not capable of working out how to solve the complicated thing that marketing is in the first place, then you haven't got a hope in hell of working out what to do with digital. I'm wondering if it's not because we had such a long period without disruption. You know, you think about how, for my career, television, right up until, you know, uh, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, television was the channel for advertising. Okay, And television's been around since the 50s and the 40s in the US. So it was actually quite stable. While it, I'm, I'm not belittling the complexity because I think you're absolutely right. The intellectual challenge of marketing is one of the uh, most exciting in any aspect of business and commerce because there is the elements of art, of persuasion, and the science of the commerce the, the mathematics of, you know, the results um, that makes it so fascinating. But when people fall into a pattern of thinking of a particular marketplace a particular way, when there are major changes, com increased complexity, and when they start to see the behaviours that they've always done decreasing in effectiveness, then rather than solve the problem, what they're inclined to do is want to jump to what's the next solution. If it was television in the past and television started to supposedly diminish in effectiveness, they jumped onto digital because that was the next big thing. Everyone told them the next big thing. Then it was social, right? Rather than sitting down and going, well, actually, okay, so we've got this increased fragmentation in channels. What are the channels available to us? And how can we test and learn each of those channels so that we can start to see which one's right for us? Because I see so many marketers that as fragmentations occurred, what they've done is ended up like a sprinkler with their budget, spraying it across every channel and not really seeing any results from any of them. Big, big statement, I know. Uh, no, I agree. But, but it goes kind of back to something we were talking about 10 minutes ago, which is if the art of strategy is really about powerful, informed choice, Yeah. 
then it would be very surprising if the answer was an omni-channel media strategy. Yeah. Right? If the if almost every other example of good strategy we could kind of we could put on the table in any discipline is businesses making a few selective smart choices about the minimum number of things to do in order to achieve an outcome. I would be very surprised, therefore, if the answer to the media strategy puzzle is do everything in tiny little lumps. Exactly. Like, I don't preclude that from being an answer for some businesses in some categories, because back to your point, there's no best practice, there's no panacea, but it would surprise me if it were huh. uh, even, even an irregular occurrence. That yeah. Because strategy, as you say, is about what you don't do, you choose not to do, so that you focus your efforts in the areas that are most likely to achieve the result that you're aiming for. Yeah. And it comes back to some of the stuff we were, we were talking about earlier, about this kind of, uh, the stuff Mark Ritson was talking about, about the role of segmentation in marketing nowadays. And I found this whole topic kind of really interesting. And the tension between big brands needing big regular reach, and I realise reach is almost a dirty word in the, in the digital area, but I, audience people who will listen to the thing I want to say, and the opportunities that technology ought to provide us to be a little bit more precise in that, and are seeming to fall into kind of the left camp or the right camp rather than trying to find some slightly more sophisticated middle where I get just enough people of mostly the right type in order to deliver my outcome, rather than going to, well, we've got a micro-segment, a micro-target because I'm capable of it, and forgetting about the size of the objective in the first place, or going all the way to, now I'm just going to tell everybody. Yeah. I'm going to tell everybody the thing I'm going to say, and therefore the thing I'm going to say has to appeal to everybody, and all of a sudden my brand position is going bland and undifferentiated and boring and pointless. Which Look, is, yeah, I, I think Mark Ritson was making the point, which is, you know, if you go mass, and you should always focus on maximising your potential market, um, there is going to be a huge amount of wastage. But then, likewise, if you go to, as you say, micro-segmentation, you're going to uh, waste a huge amount of effort on a very small return. And I think, you know, ultimately what he was trying to get people to think about is that there is the, for every brand, there's going to be some medium ground. Yeah. You know, if I'm sitting there at Mars and I go, I want to target everyone with a mouth, that's fine, except they're not going to all eat chocolate, right? And they may not necessarily all want to eat Mars bars. But then as Mars, I have a whole range of different chocolate bars. I've got Snickers and I've got Mars and I've got blah, 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 blah. But if I start promoting all of them to everyone, then I'm going to actually dilute the power that I have if I can find a way of segmenting it to people that like a particular brand. Well, um this seems to be what's disappointing me about what's happening between marketers and the kind of, you know, and digital mediums, which is the opportunities they ought to provide to be able to talk to people with a higher propensity to be able to change their behaviour as a result of a message inserted into a medium still doesn't seem to have delivered anything like the promise it ought to have had. And, no. and that we are still reliant on... Yes, I realise I'm going to get reached 3 million people and only 100,000 of them are going to do anything, 
but this is still the most efficient choice I'm left presented with because hmm. nothing else is yet working. Um, disillusions me a little bit, if I'm honest. Well, I think there was big promises made, but the fulfilment of those has been incredibly difficult. And it's been difficult because it requires, if you want to get down to that micro-targeting, you know, the, the idea of personalised marketing, that I know who you are as an individual and I know your preferences through your behaviour and things like that, actually requires a huge investment in, first of all, collecting that data in a way that I can identify you as an individual and then make sure I serve my messages to you at the time and place that, and, and in the format that you actually want to do it. Because ultimately, the consumer makes choices. You know, this, this idea of this utopian world where we know so much about the, the customer that we can fulfil their every need, want and desire before they even know it, is actually working counter to what we're seeing amongst consumers, which is, stop it. I'm sick of giving you all this data. You know, every time I go on Facebook, you learn about my preferences and what I want. I mean, Facebook knows more about me as an individual than my own parents would. You know, and yet, making that available to marketers in a way that they can actually start predicting my needs is a huge piece of you know, technology, strategy and analysis to be able to deliver that. And then the question would come, is it even worth it? Because if you're selling me a chocolate bar, for Correct. instance, that you make 10 cents in the dollar on that, if at all, is it worth investing all that money so you know before I do that Darren's going to eat a chocolate bar in 10 minutes? Well, I, I, I agree. And again, it comes back to this lack of a panacea and lack of a best practice. Because if my consumers are shopping online and I can see and track and watch their shopping behaviours online, then absolutely yes, we should be exploiting the big data thing to find the moment when we can actually nudge them into doing what we want to do. That's a brilliant opportunity for service and tech marketers who kind of retail in the online experience. If I sell dog food, that's not an awful lot of help. No. And it's this universal labelling and lack of sophistry in thinking that I think is one of the things that's really not helping yeah. us as a marketing community kind of move forward and start to go, yes, the problems are complicated and yes, things got a little bit difficult. But you know what? One by one, we're kind of knocking them over and solving them. Because some of the things we have done with digital and data and technology for certain segments and certain brands is amazing. Mm. Like, and the amount of wastage we've managed to reduce from the process is genuinely quite brilliant. There's nothing fundamentally wrong with programmatic as an idea. Mm. It's just very dependent on having a bucket load of stuff underneath it that a lot of spenders, advertisers and brands will never have. Well, yeah, or that you're, as you say, you're in the category where you're going to be able to use it to influence the purchase decision at the time that they can actually fulfil on it. Which brings us right back to the start of the conversation, which was why does marketing exist in the organisation? Mm -hmm. And its job is to influence the shopping decisions of a bunch of people who we choose to have as our potential customer set. And we've lost sight of that altogether. We've lost sight of that in our excitement of the mediums and the mechanisms that we are 
the behavioral scientists at the heart of the organization. Mm. And I know that's a buzzy kind of, you know, cool word to use, but it's a really good way of describing what we do. We use analytics, science, data, and intelligence to work out how to change people's behavior. And it got a bit hard. Yeah. Well, boo-hoo, let's think a little bit harder about things then, shall we? I think it got hard because it became more complex. Yes. There was changes and people didn't cope with the changes. But I th also, because Mark Ritson also said that um, you know, marketers are distracted by digital and that if they got back to basics, they, and, you know, back to the strategy and back to where is my audience and how do I engage with them to change this behaviour. In some ways, that's what you're saying. Yes. He just said it in a way that was very dismissive of digital because I think it was a way to capture a headline and, and challenge people's preconception. Because what else? Oh, he said when he looks at all the trade publications, there's like 70% is talking about digital and, and the 30% about traditional media says that it's all dead and going away. I Nothing annoys me more than the TV is dead brigade mm. coupled with the digital's useless brigade, right? Because yeah, everything's, everything's hopeless. Yeah. <laughs> Give up, go home. <laughs> well, they're two different camps of people, right? Yeah. Neither of whom are right. Yeah. Both of which are kind of grandstanding and, and kind of bandstanding about a thing that's frankly just not true. Well, they're all selling something. I mean, this is the other thing that I really get pissed off about, and that is that m so much of the conversation in the industry is being driven by the vendors selling something. You've got, you know, the Russell Howcrofts of the world out there shouting in the loneliness, TV's not dead, we can still deliver an audience. And he's, and he's right. most consistent with yeah. that message. But it, and he's also right for particular <laughs> he audiences. He is. Right, and then you've got on the other side the the digital vendors saying, and you need to use Platform X because it will deliver a digital program. But at the end of it, all of this advice is coming from people that are using it to sell something, and yet marketers, where where is a marketer? Yeah, you, know, you you've had some amazing roles, you know, marketing roles that you're now using that experience to help marketers deal with this complexity, but where do marketers find impartial, non-selly advice or for, that they can use to develop their strategies? Because isn't everyone selling something? Well, yeah, even people like me who are selling advice about how to do strategy are selling something, right? Yeah, but you're not, you don't have a vested interest in the outcome, you have a vested interest in the process. No, and you know what, it's, well, it's an interesting diversions. I was really, really sad to see Naked Not Make It as a channel neutral, genuine strategic offering that looked like an agency so it made it easy for brands and marketers to buy. And the fact that clearly that commercially didn't seem for one reason or another to transpire into a viable business model really disappoints me. Because something like that, whether it's me or a you know pseudo naked, a let me help you solve the complicated problem that we're faced with, and then together we can go and work out with the media company what the best what the best place to put this is. Hmm. 
strikes me as a thing that the CMO should be screaming for at the moment. John, I'm so glad you raised that as an example because I will tell you why Naked failed. Okay? Naked failed because as a society we do not feel comfortable paying for thinking. We pay for doing. And Naked spent and had some amazing thinkers, strategic thinkers that could solve any problem with enough input and enough time. Okay? But when it came to getting paid for the value that was created there, they couldn't get the sorts of fees that you could get if you then took that thinking and started implementing totally. it. And as soon as you start implementing it, then, and you're getting paid for the implementation, then the thinking is being coloured by the opportunity to make the revenue on the implementation. When we look at traditional agencies, in fact, we look at all comms, what percentage, now it's $16 billion, the marketing industry in Australia, what percentage of that is spent on strategic and creative thinking well, I mean, as a percentage? I'm presuming you know the answer, given yeah. what you do for a living, but um, I would not estimate it as high. It's less than 1%. Okay, that's even lower than I thought it was going so, to be. So of $16 billion we spend more than 99% implementing... Are you including media money in that? Yeah. yeah. So that's the whole spend, right? Yeah. All of that's implementation. Like the actual bit down here where we actually pay. So you start up something like Naked where we're doing this little bit here and you're sitting there going, we can at best compete for less than 1% of the money. The rest of it, we've got to get into the implementation game to actually be able to justify getting the fees we deserve. And yet, all of the success of the implementation, because implementation's irrelevant if the strategy and the idea's wrong. But as usual, when we start trying to blame agencies for things, we always end up at the same place, which is the problem isn't with the agency, it's with, it's with the marketer, right? Oh, the, industri the industry and human yeah. behaviour. Human behaviour is, you know, people talk about paying for IP. Yeah, you know, and I love it when agencies bring up, why can't we get paid for our IP? And I'll say, okay, record companies. How much do you think actually goes for the IP? Because it's all still digital downloads, marketing, all of that is the, the, where the money is spent. The actual artist gets performing rights and intellectual property rights, but it's a, a still a fraction, not 1%, it's a bit yeah. more. Uh, authors, even with e-books, the distribution channels make more money than the author does. You know, intellectual property in this, in this environment, in this world, and not just Australia, but in this world, is actually incredibly undervalued. We pay for executions, we won't pay for the idea behind it. And yet in a world where the problems that we face got more complicated, and solving more complicated problems requires the application of more thinking and intelligence, something has got to change. Hmm. Yes, uh, Einstein. You can't solve the, the new problems you face with the thinking that created them in the first place. And also, if I had an hour to solve a problem, I'd spend the first 55 minutes defining what the problem oh, was yes, and the yeah. second five minutes on implementation. Yeah. And 
maybe 95% of the budget should be going on strategy and 5% on implementation. I'm not entirely sure I agree with myself there, but, but that uh, has uh, to uh, change. A bigger right? part of it. Yeah. And, and you know what? We're starting, to, we're starting to see potential, if you're an agency, scary beginnings of that as the Accentures, Deloitte's, McKinsey's start to encroach beyond their core business strategy territory and go, oh, look, the marketing department ought to be strategic and aren't being. And the strategic skill set is the same whether I'm solving a global mergers and acquisitions strategy or a marketing strategy. Why don't I just send my smart thinkers in to do the thinking for them and they'll just cut the planning bit out of the budget altogether and people are more comfortable paying a McKinsey a, you know. That strategy is a very expensive way of solving that problem. Yeah, it is. And it's not necessarily the right way because going back to what you said before about marketing, marketing requires that beautiful piece of the art of persuasion, the art of behavioural science, you know, the ability to have empathy and understanding of the motivations of the human mind, as well as the science and mathematics of, you know, being to analyse data and measure success. I don't see a lot of creative thinking, maybe some creative accounting coming <laughs> out of uh, the big consulting firms. But you know, what they are good at is commercialising um, uh, experienced people and senior people who then get basically billed on an hour. You know, the, the, to me, the most, um, in some words, creative, and I use it in its broadest term, are the merchant bankers. You know, the ones that see an opportunity and then commercialise it and just take a percentage of the value. I mean, ultimately, in a way, that's where uh, marketing and, and advertising creative should aspire to, is actually creating things, getting someone to help them commercialise it and then take a percentage of it. But our, our business models don't allow for that because it requires the payoff once the value is delivered, not on the hope of it being delivered. Yeah, it's... The use of the creative word in relation to marketing is one of the single biggest kind of double-edged swords I think we face as a business. Because as soon as you use it, almost everybody who isn't a marketer, and I would say 80% of those who are, leap to art, copy, creative, the creative director and the advertising agency model. Versus what we're talking about, which is the academic art of behavioural understanding, of getting under the skin of consumer motivations and truly understanding what it will take to shift from behaviour to the other. Um, that's what I mean about the balance of art and science mm. in marketing. When we get to needing to draw the pictures and tell the story, there's a creative bit as well, yeah. which I love, but let me tell you, it's 5-10% of the marketing job and the rest looks either like a science like psychology or a science like yeah. like mathematics and well yeah most I, people decry me when i say marketing is more science than art and but if the art is only the bit where we write and draw what's going on the advertising then 90 percent estimate is an is an intellectual exercise well I, you know, I came i came from a science background and i worked as a copywriter for 15 years but the thing i hated was being called creative i'd say to people i'm a creative problem solver and they go what's that mean and i go if creativity is about finding connections and patterns that other people haven't seen yet 
then solving the problem through finding new ways of connecting bits is creative problem solving. And I think that, for me, is what is at the core of marketing. Because it's, first of all, you know, to your point, 55 minutes defining the problem. What's the problem facing this particular business? Where can marketing and the discipline of marketing actually help solve that problem? And then using creative problem solving as a way of creating something new that is going to engage an audience and excite them. Get them turned on, or at least at the very minimum, get them to pay attention for a split second while they move on to the next thing. We agree, but I, I think in my utopian non-existent word, I would ban the use of the word creative anywhere near the marketing department right. because it's now become debased debased as just a little bit at the end yeah. that the genuinely Pouring creative in. people do yeah. versus the creative problem solving you and I talk about and I think of my type of creativity as well isn't what the CEO thinks when the marketing department says they're going to go away and be creative. Yeah. <laughs> And I would say probably about eight times out of ten isn't what the marketing department are doing when they're going away and being creative. They're going yeah. away and enjoying the artistry of advertising versus the science of creative problem solving. So to go back to the start, because we've run out of time, the things that are keeping the CMO awake are the same thing it, it, that's always been there. It's just that the world has become more complex and that too much time is being focused on the choices of implementation and that's overshadowing the opportunity of strategically solving the problem of the business. Is that a fair summary of uh, where we've come? I, I think it is. And if not that we're really in the business of solutions and self-serving though it may seem, if marketers don't start investing more of their time and budget in better thinking, we won't get past the complexity problem. Yeah, because you know, just doing a whole lot of implementation is not going to solve the problem. Welcome to the world where you are no longer reporting to the Chief Executive Officer. Mm. John Bradshaw, thank you very much. Thanks, it's been man. a pleasure. Mm.